Welcome to Friars on the Farm Podcast. I'm Donovan, and to my left is Roy. It's been a busy, busy week. Busy week. Lots of, lots of tons of stuff, dude. Holy got- cow. All-star games. We got the draft. We got players moving up and down. Players getting released. Players getting traded. Uh, I mean, up to the minute, we were just pressed go. We were adding stuff, subtracting stuff. What are we going to talk about? Those like they save that for later. Um, just a ton of stuff. First and foremost... Uh, on the major league level, oh, the Savior is back. Amen. And he's saving lives. Oh, and he looked so good right <laughs> off the bat. Oh my God. So what games did you go to last weekend? Uh, I went to, good question, what's today? Today is Tuesday. We, we went to Friday and Sunday's game. We went to Friday and we went to Friday and Saturday's game. Okay, so Saturday was the day he was benched. No, I didn't. But Friday was the day that he was wreaking havoc all over the place. We went to Friday and Monday's game, sorry. Okay. He hit no, a home never, run. He stole a base. Jesus, I can't remember what game I went to. He was taking extra bases. <laughs> he got a bloop double. I, I remember that yeah. in particular because it was like this loopy fly ball, and it landed in between the fielders in shallow left field. And I look up, and he's standing there on second base, and he does kind of a shrug and then a cane chop. And like I a, and I loved it. Like, hey, all right, yeah, I'll take it. I'll take the chop. <laughs> I, I don't know. I We got tickets last week uh, from uh, Liddy's co-worker, and... We went and that was it. That's all I remember. It's been a long day. I've been, it's been a long day for me. I, it's been a long week. I, it's been a long week. I got up, I went to bed super late, got up super early and have been on the road. I've been down here from LA. Uh, I'm dressed weird. I got like nice clothes on. Yeah, I know. I hardly I just, recognized it's, you. It's not worth talking about, but it's just it, the mind's going to be even slower. So guys, stick with me. Well, so the point is that Tatis is back up and he looks great. God, thank the God. speed is there. The yeah. I mean, he he tried to go up and get a uh, a line drive on Sunday, and he must the vertical is like 48 inches. It's like Michael Jordan vertical. Yeah, so as high as he went up to try to get that, he didn't get it. It was over his head, but still. You don't see a guy get off the ground that high, especially somebody who's six foot three. Video game jumping, but boing. Yeah. So fast. Anyway, so so glad that he's back. The sad part of that is that Ty France had to get optioned down to yeah. make room on the roster. Yeah. And of course, as soon as he's gone back down, he started mashing again. Because triple A is like it's, hitting on the moon. Right. It's like hitting with a rubber ball. Yeah. So thank he- you for your service, Ty France. And I'm telling you, I, I think that gave the Padres enough to to uh, A give some good trade value. B, it does because we do. He's a good ball player. He has professional at bats. Mm-hmm. Um, the results were starting to really kind of show up there this last few weeks or so. Um, but he's a solid defender. You know, I always, I always um, comped him to like a Ty Wigington. That's fair. Like, like a kind of a thick, you know, maybe a solid developing into a solid hitter, third baseman who's not going to wow you. He's not going to blow your doors, but he's going to be a solid journeyman player in the major league he was better at third base than i expected he made some really really nice plays now when machado moves over and you're used to machado for a month and then you get ty france it's clearly (laughs) a step down but he was better than watching will myers at the end of the season that's for sure yeah yeah absolutely Um, so we'll see him again i'm confident of that at some point he's going to come back up someone's going to get hurt. hopefully it's with the padres I, i guess there is the chance you said something about trade value but don't want to. Yeah, I just. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm hoping that we see him back up again because he's a, a great guy. He's yeah. a friend of the podcast. Absolutely. Uh, and he did, in my opinion, he did really well in his yeah. time up. Yeah. And I think he opened a lot of the people's eyes, too. People were like, I guess we had to stick with Ty France. Ooh, we got Machado. And then we see Ty France and they're like, OK, maybe it wouldn't have been so bad. Yeah. Yeah, they got through that month without Tatis. Yeah. A lot better than maybe we would have expected. And it was kind of nice. I mean, like. Uh, I don't know if we don't ever ever see Machado at short again. 
it means Tatis is healthy, but yeah, but he was really freaking God, good. Was he good? <laughs> oh Jesus. my goodness! Our our uh, just so many years. How many years, uh, Padre fans, have you suffered through the Alexi Amaristas, the um, Bar- Barmas, Clint Barmas of the world? The just oh my God! Horrible it's been so stops. long. Um, Alexi Ramirez, <laughs> Ramirez. Um, but he's back. But we're here to talk about minor league baseball. Yes. A, a cool thing that I found out uh, on Twitter, I've had a relationship with uh, Steve Peel. He's the assistant GM for the Inland Empire 66ers. He's, it's the high A affiliate of the Angels. And we've had some banter because like, he's, he's had to like be the mascot. You know, As the assistant GM, you're asked to do more than just administrative work. Like He had to be the mascot guy. He has to do all kinds of the scrub work, you know, just kind of on-field stuff. Um, and through talking to him on Twitter, like he listens to the podcast. So shout out to Steve Peel. He's a cool follow, um, Inland Empire, uh, 66ers. And he's at Steve Peel 0405 because that is on the 405 in the Inland Empire, I suspect. Oh, uh, okay. I, I don't know. I was up there today. But yeah, I, I just thought I would add that to the podcast because, you know, give a shout out to Steve. We need all the karma we can get. Um, moving on, Jose Castillo, everyone's starting to rehab, which is yes. a great thing to see. Uh, Jose Castillo started his rehab. This is last Friday. Well, and that came out of nowhere to me. It really did. Because I didn't know that he was, I, I figured that he was doing some sort of exercises, but I wasn't aware that he was throwing in Peoria. Yeah. And then on, uh, I saw he his account tweeted out, hey, here's some video. And you open it up on Instagram and there was some video of, and it looked like, you know, a typical rehab assignment in Peoria. And the next thing I know, he's in Lake Elsinore pitching in games. Well, and he's also had the video and it's like, wow, that's, that's a cool app or like a cool uh, filter with the like. like Yeah. It looked like a VHS tape with bad tracking (laughs) and it had a little date stamp in the bottom saying it was like 1989 or something like that. Oh, so cool. So fantastic news. He's looked good so far. He's made a couple of appearances. Um, it, when guys are rehabbing, you can't just expect them to come out and blow people away because, yeah, it's a major league pitcher against single-A competition. The point is that he's pitching. He's got the velocity. Uh, he he looks good. He's healthy. And the same thing with Denelson Lamette. Right. Denelson Lamette's now made a few appearances for the Storm. Um, he's looking good. He's looking healthy. Maybe after the All-Star break or even before then, they think yeah. about adding him in. I was taking a look and just guessing so they're on this road trip they come back to play milwaukee for three games at home and it's the 17th 18th 19th of june i believe okay those are the same days that the california league has their all-star break so i wonder because i they're they're not putting the they're putting these guys in lake elsinore for a reason yeah and it's because of the proximity yeah i've noticed that denelson has been in san diego hanging out in the dugout with the boys on the days that he's not pitching so that's funny because last episode uh that we we taped and went to hell. Uh, he that, so that was the Thursday game I was at with the Mackenzie Gore. He was in the dugout, and then literally the next day, you see on Instagram, he's like posting pictures of the gym at Petco Park. I'm like, what the hell? And then we went to the game the next night, that Friday, and they're like, there's there he is. So he can sleep in his bed. Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming that these guys yeah. have some kind of like a condo or something like that down downtown, so he can stay at home and then go do his rehab game and then come back home and hang out with his friends. Because you see these guys on social media, they clearly all hang out together, and that's one of the things I love about this team. Yeah, that they do enjoy they hanging like out other. together. Yeah. It's not just a bunch of guys stuck in a room. Yeah, so they're rehabbing, and things are the the pitching staff definitely needs it at the big league team. Yeah, but I mean, these are young pitchers that we want to see do well. 
Yeah. And it's also and good for the Lake Elsinore Storm because it draws more people to come to the games. If you hear that Denelson Lamette's making his start on Thursday and you go up there, I bet you see that there's a spike in attendance. Attendance, people coming up from San Diego, us Padre Twitter freaks. We're just up there like trolling them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but let's get on a batting leadoff. And, you know, it's that time of year. The rosters are starting to shake up. Uh, the All-Star, you know, all the players for the All-Star teams and the minor leagues are starting to get announced. Well, and you've got the draft that just happened, and now they need to start making room. So real quick on that, this Friday is when uh, Tri-City starts. Yes. So they announced their rosters yesterday. They did. The draft guys will probably have a few-day workout. Then they'll decide when who they add to that roster. Yeah, because you look at the roster, and there's like three infielders. Yeah. <laughs> so it's pretty clear that there's going to be more names added to it, but I'm sure base- baseball has rules that players, certain number of players need to be added to those rosters right. to be part of the organization. Right. And because guys have been on the t- the the um, Dust Devils roster since the start of the year. Yeah. It's it's kind of weird how that, y- their website's always updated. You look at it, you're like, wait, that guy, they're not playing for three months. How is he on the roster? But whatever. They just needed a place to put them. Yeah, that's. I think that's what it is. is you really got a place to put them. Uh, but it's that time of year, and the Padres are starting to release guys. And primarily, a lot of these guys are all AAA. Yeah, Jacob Scavuzzo, you know, Fernando Rodriguez, started TJ Weir. Yeah, that's. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate because I mean Fernando Rodriguez, he's a relief pitcher. Yeah, he maybe had a chance. He he is a veteran who was brought on on a one year contract. Yeah, a lot of minor league guys. Um, Jacob Scavuzzo was released by the Dodgers at the end of last year. Uh, powerful guy, strikes out a ton. Um, and then TJ Weir, he's been, he was drafted by the Padres. He was drafted before the AJ Preller or, um, um, administration. Uh, do we have and, trivia coming up there? Is that like the last? Oh, you know what? John Conniff might, uh, might buzz us with that when we talk to him <laughs> later, uh, which will be, I believe we're going to do that on a separate episode, yeah. but that's been one of the Mad Friars bits lately on Twitter is they'll say, okay, name the six <laughs> players that were drafted by you know, before AJ Preller yeah. took over and have stayed in the, and it's, it's tough. Um, Robbie Erlin, I think, is the only guy on the major league roster. Uh, Travis Jankowski was also ah. was also drafted before that. Who was just okayed for baseball activities, but moving on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so the next note you've got on here is Alex Dickerson, and he was traded to the Giants. Uh, they brought back right-handed pitcher Franklin Van Gerp. So I call him Groot. Group. Groot. Well, I so Alex Groot. Dickerson, he apparently he went on the DL with an injured wrist. Yeah. And, and I have doubts on how "quote unquote" injured the wrist really was, or if they just needed to clear him off the roster to designate right. him for assignment, make room for Josh Naylor. Um, so he was traded to the Giants. The Giants need outfield help desperately. Yeah. Their outfield has been dismal. Yeah, and there really wasn't a spot for Dickerson, um, especially now that Naylor's come up and he's been hitting the cover off. The, he's been great exactly. for the Padres. So some of these trades like that are. You know, fortuitous, like, hey, we're going we're gonna to take up the 40-man, but we're going to try to trade you and get you somewhere where you can play. Yeah. It's not like, sorry, dude, you're done. Like, they have those conversations with the players to, like, because it's a relationship. He's a local boy. Draft, you know, we didn't mm-hmm. draft him, but, like, we've had a long relationship with him, and it's not like, you know, now he's going to watch what's going to happen. He's going to come back and hit two freaking dingers against us. Well, yeah, I guess where they're playing tonight. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't oh, know. Is he, on the, is he on the 25-man? I well, he goes right on there, forty man. Um, I haven't seen the lineup for today's game, but it wouldn't surprise me to see him out there. It wouldn't surprise me if he hit one a couple into the bay. Just uh, jeez, that's what happens to us. What and what happens? Is he going to stare down this uh, uh, Chris Paddock? <laughs> did you did you see what happened to the Giants Dodgers game? I want to first profess my um, intense uh, dislike for the Dodgers. Okay, 
Uh, I, I agree. All thing Dodgers. Um, that being said, I know Mousy is Mousy. He looks like a mouse. He's not a fan now. I'm like, I'm a fan. Oh, you mean Muncy? Max Muncy? Yeah, yeah. He looks like a mouse. Uh-huh. I saw the bomb, and then I saw him go, well, go get the ball. And then I saw the interview. Like, it was happened yesterday, or the day before yesterday. I saw the interview, and I loved how he... Well, go on. Just tell okay, the story. Okay, so for the people that weren't watching or didn't see it on social media or whatever, <laughs> Max no Muncy case. hits a home uh, uh, Madison Bumgarner's a pitcher. Yeah. Muncy hits a home run into the bay, and it wasn't a wall scraper. This thing was way out there. Four or five canoes deep into the yeah, bay. Yeah, it was deep into the bay. And so Bumgarner doesn't like it when people admire their pitch. And apparently the first couple steps out of the batter's box were a little slow. <laughs> and so Bumgarner says something like, don't watch it run. Yeah, stop watching run. <laughs> Yeah, and so then Muncie chirps back to him and says, if you don't want me to watch it, go get it out of the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Oh, my God. And I, I, you know, then, you know, they continue to chirp at each other throughout the him running around the bases. And then afterwards in the interview, he kind of goes over that whole thing again. And I love how he did. He backed it up. He's like, you know, he's a competitor. After like going, yeah, I told him to go get the ball out of the ocean. He backed it up. He's like, you know, he was just probably mad at that moment with the pitch because who's going to be happy that he just gave up a bomb like that? And he's a competitor. Sure. So he didn't, he's like, I didn't want to make it like a Puig thing. He doesn't want to make it a thing. But in the moment, you know, if he's going to chirp, I'm going to chirp back mm-hmm. and let it be. Yep. Uh, and if it's going to be anything more than anything, it wasn't because then he wasn't hit the next at bat. He actually got a single. Um, and I love the brush back that. Bumgarner has been kind of given is like, okay, we'll let the kids play. I have a hard time with that. I have a hard time with giving up home runs and not being pissed at the guy for. Okay. Well, you hit a home run. You're allowed to be pissed. Right. But you can't take it out on you. You you hung a ball right over the middle of the plate and he did his job and obliterated it. Okay. So, so yeah, I get he's not supposed to stand there, but it's not like he stood there and watched the ball go. He started jogging right away. And so somebody actually posted a video, a side-by-side of Max Muncy hitting a home run and Madison Bumgarner hitting a home run and getting out of the box awfully slow. Yeah. So it's like, what's really going on right. here? You know, I, I, I'm all for it. Did you see a Mississippi State game? So Mississippi State had to win a game in the Super Regionals to get into the uh, NCAA World Series. Is that the walk-off three It was a shot? walk-off home run. Okay. And the guy hits the bomb, and he's like hopping and like pump, fist pumping to the guys in his dugout. And then as he rounds first base, you see the umpire like yelling at him and pointing like run. It's like, come on, the game's freaking over. <laughs> Let the kid have his moment. And it's a moment, particularly with you know, College World Series. I'm sure, you know, if you're going to be a pro, be a pro, act like, like you've been there before. But like College World Series stuff, and this is the time of year when that stuff happens. Oh, it's rowdy. You know, I, I love it's it. so much fun. To go to one of the College World Series, and we've got a ton of stuff to talk about. So we shouldn't be going on these tangents. But uh, I, I saw the, um, the, Vanderbilt, the, the Vanderbilt kid that threw the no-hitter. Yes, Kumar Rocker. Oh, so, my God. So you see the Twitter, like, I wonder how much money that guy's going to make. Todd Van Stiesel. About fifteen hundred bucks a month, about eleven hundred bucks a month. True, but so I love that. That was just like that was a great answer. True, he's probably. (laughs) But he he was going to be like a first round pick last year, and there there was talk about that. Is somebody going to pick him late in the in the draft? Like we'll get to later. Like what the Padres are trying to do. Right. Is somebody going to pick him and try to throw a bunch of money at him to get him to sway away from his his uh, commitment to Vanderbilt? And it was pretty clear that that wasn't going to happen, so he didn't get drafted by anybody. 
So now yeah. he's in Vandy for two years, and then he'll come back up to the draft. But that game right there earned him a whole bunch of money. Yeah, absolutely. And he was filthy was in that game. Win or die. Well, it's right now it's win or die for those guys, right? It's a double elimination. Yeah, so I don't know where they were at if they were if they had a loss and it really was an elimination game for them, or if that was the game that kicked the other team out. Uh, I I love everything about the college baseball World yeah. Series. And it's I such have, a fun format, and I have not watched any of it, but what I see on Twitter. Yeah, I haven't watched any of it. I, I haven't had the time. I'm yeah. too busy watching Padres stuff and trying to keep up on the draft. And, yes, and reading Mad Friars and reading all these other web pages about what's going on with the minor league stuff. Oh my God! Speaking of which. Yeah, so let's try to get back on topic. I'm sorry. Let's get on with it. So, <laughs> um, so Franklin Van Gerp, he's a power right-handed pitcher. He okay. was born in St. Martin, which is a small island in the Caribbean. He grew up in the Dominican Republic. He went to college in Florida. I saw an interview with, with him. He speaks perfect English with no accent. Like he's, it's, It looks like he grew up in the U.S. Right, so he's one of those Dutch guys that grew up in... Yeah, um, he was a catcher. Going up through school, and then at some point in college, he got converted to a pitcher. So that's how he became a pitcher. So typical converted catcher profile, power fastball, and he's got a slider that is in development. He's got the power. He doesn't have a lot of command. But he was drafted in 2017. He's still fairly new in professional ball, and now he's going to the Lake Elsinore Storm. So we'll see what kind of magic they can work with him. Okay, you didn't do a tell. We'll talk about that later. Okay. The tell. <laughs> but this happened this week, folks. The San Diego Padres, they're up next to number six. They're all wearing red jackets. Well, they're all wearing red jackets in honor of Don Welke. Yes. Uh, it was the Padres' longtime scouting vice president who passed away in 2018. It's their turn at number six. Let's go to the podium. With the sixth selection of the 2019 MLB Draft, the San Diego Padres select C.J. Abrams Jr., a shortstop from Blessed Trinity High School in Roswell, Georgia. Welcome to the Padres, C.J. Abrams. Welcome to the Padres, C.J. Abrams. Nice. Second top, so he's the second top prospect in the draft for... um. Bobby Witt Jr. would be the number one prep prospect in this year's draft. So okay, we get yeah. the number two guy. So everybody else that was picked in that range was a college player. Yeah. So, yeah, athletic shortstop. Um, I, and what I'm reading, well, you, you've got the scouting report got here. The scouting report. Um, go ahead and take us through it. Well, this Saturday he signed for $5.2 million. His slot was 5.7, which we'll get a little bit more in with a little bit of half a million dollar savings. His... This is from Baseball America. Abram pairs that speed with a line drive oriented swing from the left side. And he has tremendous feel for putting the barrel on the baseball. He rarely swings and misses. And because of those skills, scouts thinks Abrams could become a plus hitter. He still has plenty of work to do in regards to pitch selection and development, a real plan of attack. However, at times, Abrams has shown a tendency to get overly aggressive in the box and chase pitches out of the zone. He has below average raw power at the moment and scouts have questioned his power potential at times, but he has improved his strength enough to the point that it would be fair to project average power in the future as he continues to fill out. It would also wouldn't be shocking if Abrams eventually reaches above average power because of his impressive hand-eye coordination and ability to consistently put the barrel on the ball in today's home run friendly environment at the AAA and major league levels. He struck out 12 times. All four years of high school. So Dennis Lynn wrote a really good article in The Athletic 
um, profiling C.J. Abrams, and he talked about just how he grew up and what they did around the house to work on things. His dad. And apparently, in the the kitchen was his his batting cage, and they would set up cushions. They would throw uh, what was like little foam balls, um, and they had all kinds of things to work on hand eye coordination. And as a result. He never, he went long stretches without ever swinging and missing. It's like every time wow. he would swing the bat, he would make contact. So he's got that incredible hand eye coordination. And then on top of that, he's got top of the scale speed. He's got 80 scale speed. Yeah. And people are saying that if he and uh, Edwards were, Xavier Edwards were on the same field, Abrams would be the faster guy, which is crazy to think because everybody talks about. Edwards having top of the scale speed. Edwards is really, really fast. So now you've got another middle infield prospect that has a similar tools, only he's a little bit taller. He's got the bigger frame, yeah. so a little more power potential. Yeah. He's got a slightly better arm. Um, it sounds like he doesn't have the quite the actions at center at, at shortstop, and people are susp- are curious, they're dubious that he could throw from the different arm slots and different angles to be able to stay at shortstop. Right. But the Padres are going to give him every chance to stay. Uh, there's a good chance he moves to short to center field because of yeah. his speed and his athleticism. Well, and the thing with uh, so he played on the 18U team, and he gave up the shortstop position to Bobby Witt Jr. Okay, and that's why they're like he can play because sh- then he plays center field, and they're like, oh my god, it was like, oh, I can go get any ball. Okay, he he did really well. Well, if you're an athlete, it shows, especially at that level in high school, and that's what you do in the draft. You pick the highest, your best athlete. Not a position or need, not what we're lacking or whatever. It's the best athlete. So Well, and then the makeup goes into it as well. And so huge. Dennis Lynn, and he was talking to Mark Connor and a bunch of other people about that, about all the work they put in to learn what what kind of kids these guys are. Yeah. Because yeah, we don't want to draft another Donovan Tate, another Matt Bush, that it's a premium athlete, and then they wind up becoming all kinds of problems. Yeah. Because you're investing a bunch of money and a lot of time and opportunity into these kids. And you need to know that they're going to work and get the most out of it for you. Yeah, and I and I love Connor's just. It's like Christmas, you know. It's like you know, it's like I get to unwrap all these presents and all these presents I, I get to buy, and then all of a sudden I get them, and it's like hell yeah, let me get these guys toward development. I think that was one of the quotes, like let me get these guys into development and see what we can do with them. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I was at the game the other day. We were over by where they were doing batting practice and I saw Sam Gini there. And so I called out to him. And I said, hey, Sam, have you slept at all this week? And he says, oh, I'm good. This is easy for me because he doesn't have anything to do with the draft. Right, right. It's right after that that they go, okay, here's all the kids. Here you go. And that's like Christmas for him because yeah. now he gets to unwrap all these presents and, okay, you guys go to Arizona. You're going to go to the Dominican for the summer. You're going to go up to Tri-Cities. Yeah. It's so they've got a lot of work out in front of them, uh, but let's keep on going. So in the second round, you've got Josh Mears here and uh, he just signed. So CJ Abrams signed for $5.2 million. Yeah. yeah. Um, his slot was a little over 5.7. Second rounder, Josh Mears signed for a million dollars. Um, and Mears, you've got his profile here. Mears is a six foot three, 235 pound outfielder who is committed Beast. to Purdue. So he's a high school senior. Yeah. He has plenty of natural strength, and scouts believe he could still add more weight, which he'll need to carefully maintain. Mears is lively in the batting box, showing quick hands and plus bat speed. He creates natural loft with his swing and has plus raw power, though he will need to continue refining his approach to get it to get to it regular regularly. Yeah. He has performed well with the bat this spring in front of plenty of higher-level evaluators. Despite a lack of pure instinct and only an average run tool, Mears is athletic and evaluators think he will be fine in the outfield, though he'll definitely be in a corner. So he was a center fielder throughout his 
his high school career yeah. at six foot three, two hundred thirty five pounds. And when I saw high school six three, two thirty five, that's a big kid. You're like tight end. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. It sounds like a tight end, or I mean, not even a linebacker. That's somebody that they'd put at a lineman in high school. But uh, he's athletic enough to play center field. Yeah. So as he fills out, I mean, hopefully he doesn't fill out weight-wise, but you know he's going to add bulk as they train him. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen pictures of him. I don't know if he's a little bit on the pudgy side or what. I've, I've seen slight pictures of him. Yeah, I haven't seen... I mean, he's like, going to look seen, pudgy because he's seen, 6'3", 235. Yeah. But as you become a professional athlete, yes. like you see these guys and they're just chiseled. But he's got the athleticism now to play center. Yeah. So that makes me think of a guy like Tirso Ornelas, who's still getting play in center field at Lake Elsinore, yeah. even though it's pretty well known that he's not going to stay there. They're putting him there to for defensive reasons, so he can yeah. learn to hone his defensive skills. Yeah. But he's athletic enough at his size to play center field. As he moves off, he's going to be just fine. Yeah. Um, the question is the the contact skills and some of the other stuff. Um, but the $1 million was below his slot value. Exactly. Um, so there was some savings there. Uh, do you want to take us to the which well, one? So the it? next pick was the 48th overall. That was the uh, the the Josh Mir. What do they call that? The Hello, com- the competitive comp- balance round. Yes, the competitive balance B round. Uh, George Mason Jr., Logan Driscoll. Driscoll hit 300 all three years, starting at catcher from the left side. For his career, he's walked just as much as he struck out. He al- he's also not a slow foot catcher because Driscoll will play center field when not catching. Many have tried running on him this season, but he does have a 43% caught stealing rate. The seven HRs hit on the season are a career high already and is just one shy from the previous two years combined. So another high athletic guy that can move around, the probably move around the diamond. Mm-hmm. And also, I believe he also signed or he's getting ready to sign. Oh, he, he yeah, he signed. He signed for he under. He signed for $600,000 and his slot was $857,400. I've got my spreadsheet up here. You do have your spread, nerdy spreadsheet. I made, I made a spreadsheet to try to track all of this, to try to track what the pool value was, what the bonus was, how much the team is saving, uh, because this all this all plays together. It's there's a lot of rules and it's complicated yeah. from the outside, um, but to me, it's an interesting kind of chess game to see these guys play. So. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'll, well, go ahead. I thought you were going to go into that stuff, but oh, it's I really was, important. I was, so, I was going to read your section here. So this is how it, how this is how it works. The MLB draft is forty rounds spread over three days. The first seventy eight picks will be announced Monday night with the Padres picking again at number 48, 73. Clubs regroup for rounds three through ten on Tuesday, and then sprint through rounds eleven through forty. Those are the ones like Padres choose slot number twenty three forty two. Apparently, that part happens on like a uh, there's a conference call. Yeah, for the day three, and it's streamed online. They're all streamed online, but like the first day, it's all on MLB Network. Um, each draft slot. So here's how it works: each draft slot of the first ten rounds is signed a signing bonus value, starting at a bit more than eight point one four for the first one one, our first overall, and going to one hundred and forty two, uh, four hundred for the final pick of the tenth round. The total value of a team's pick. In this case, the Padres is $10,758,900. Teams can distribute up to 105% of that pool amount. However, they're likely, they'd like across, uh, sorry, they'd like across their top 10 round selections without penalty. Well, there's a tax. The The 5% overage, they get a 75% tax on what they spend above that pool. Yeah. But for most teams, that's, they, I think I saw that 22 of the organizations ran over last year. Go ahead. 
Well, that penalty, then they lose the slot amount tied to the pick if they fail to sign their pick. So you, like the guy we're going to talk about here in just a minute, uh-huh. uh, if you pick him and his slot says $700,000 and he goes, no thanks, but no thanks, you can go like, well, we're going to do that for this guy over here. No, you lose that money. Yes. And that's why it's so important that what Preller's been doing is signing these guys under slot. Uh, this provides strong incentive for teams to make sure that they have an understanding of what the player will cost. There was a huge baseball, as you get prepped here, there was a huge Baseball America article that they let um, just people have on how that works. How during a draft, like, okay, we're going to, you know, Roy's a top 10 pick, but we need to see if he's going to sign for this much. So what you say to the question, well, we're thinking of signing you for $5.3 million. Depending on what you say, we may not pick you. So if you go like, I'm going to hold out. So other teams see that you start falling and you're going to talk a little bit about that mm-hmm. now. Um, and, but if you said like, I could do something like that. And this is literally what the article said, basically said is like, then they're like, okay, then we might sign him because we can probably get him under slot or for what we're asking to sign this player for. It's really incredible. It's really, really interesting article. I, I'm, I didn't have space on the agenda to talk about it. And it was, more about that was the, on Baseball America? Yeah, Baseball America. Okay. It was uh, last week or so. They, they did a fantastic job covering the draft from all different yeah. angles. And shout out to our friend of the podcast, Emily Walden, for becoming the Tigers uh, prospect for Baseball America. Fantastic. Yeah, writer. that's fantastic news. I was really happy for her to see that. She's still going to write for The Athletic, I guess. Yes, yes. Uh, but yeah, she is now a Baseball America staff writer. And we now have Pride Podcast Mojo for a writer. Yeah, I guess we can claim that, right? Yeah. So... The first 10 rounds, as you said, there's a a slot assigned to each pick. After the first 10 rounds, they can sign these players for up to $125,000, and none of that money counts against the draft pool. Anything they spend above and beyond $125,000 does count against that. So what you'll see is toward the back end of the first 10 picks, um, these guys will, they'll pick guys that are, that are under slot Uh selections. Um, and what that means is, so maybe they were projected to go in the 15th or 16th round, but they'll take them in the 10th round because they know that the kid's a college senior, they can sign them for five or $10,000. Yeah. And then the remainder of that, whatever, 150 grand is money that they can spend elsewhere, whether that goes to somebody else in the first 10 rounds, or maybe it goes to somebody much farther down on the list. So um the two guys that they have not signed yet in the first 10 rounds are Hudson Head, who went in the third round, All right. who is a high school center fielder, um, and then uh, Drake Fellows, who is a starting pitcher for Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt is still in the NCAA tournament. Can't sign him. They can't talk to him yep. until after the NCAA season for that team is over. Yeah. He went in, uh, so Drake Fellows went in the sixth round. His slot value is $289,000, and it sounds like he's going to go for at or slightly over that slot. He's a pretty good pitcher. Yeah. Um, And then the other guy, Hudson Head, he was picked in the third round. Like I said, high school center fielder. So high school players that have a commitment to college, that commitment means something to them. It means an education among other opportunities. And usually by the time that they get to the draft, they've already established a relationship with the coaching staff and these kinds of things. So there's there's feelings involved and there's yeah. a lot at stake. There's word at stake. Like you're only good as your word. Yeah. Yeah. And so they need to overwhelm these players with money to get them to sway away from that commitment. 
So he was taken in the third round. His slot value is $721,900. And there's a good chance that he is going to command significantly more than that. Um, so what that means, we will, uh, it, we'll, we'll wait to see. Exactly. Well, and that's what Preller does so well is like gets these guys, you know, the top of our picks. And this is not, we're not jipping these guys out by signing under slot. They're still getting a, a, a hell of a lot of money. Well, um, I mean, and, some and, of them, if you look toward the back end, uh, so Andrew Mitchell signed for a thousand dollars. The guy, the Padres took in the ninth, in the eighth round, he signed for a thousand dollars. So he's a college senior. And when he's done with baseball as a college senior, what can he do? Try to find a job in international or uh, independent ball somewhere. Right, right. So he's desperate to find an opportunity to continue his career. Yeah. So even though his slot was $179,800, he's taken a, a, a chip and a chair, really, like in poker terms. A chip and a chair. Yeah, so now he has a chance to go to to Peoria and try to show what he's got yeah. and try to make his way out of out of extended spring training, essentially. Yeah. I mean, extended spring training is yeah. over, but there's going to be a camp that continues through the summer. Yeah, and these absolutely. guys are trying to make their way out to affiliates so they can start getting paid as a professional ball player. So what that means. So I'm not going to run through the numbers and bore you guys all to death, but later in the draft, the Padres took a couple of interesting guys and one of them, everybody's talking about. Um, so there were several high school players that they took later on. A lot of these guys are going to command between a hundred and $500,000 and that money is going to come out of the pool. But in the 23rd round, they took a young man named Maurice Hampton out of the Memphis University School in Tennessee, who is a six foot one, 200 pound center fielder who apparently has power and speed. And he appears to be a complete package from a, for a baseball player. All right. So he would have been somewhere in the middle of the first round if he said that he wasn't going to go to college. Right. Um, he's committed to LSU. It sounds like he's a two way athlete. So he's going to be a cornerback on LSU. So imagine yourself going to play for an SEC school. SEC D1. I mean, and it's yeah. religion down there. I yeah. mean, baseball is good and all, but like football is almost like gangs of New York. Yeah. In no, LA. It's he's like, going to be playing in front of a hundred thousand people on a weekly basis, on a weekly basis in, on national television. He's going to be, you know, the big man on campus and yeah. all of that. And then a few years down the road, he's got the potential to maybe go into the NFL draft yeah. and make as much money as he would as a first round draft pick right out of the gate and go straight to the pros, go straight to the NFL. And so what did that do with his draft status? So that drops him down. So now they picked him in the 23rd round and he's like a long shot. Right. So they're going to try to pull up all their money uh, before the draft. His dad said that they wanted $2.75 million to break their commitment with LSU. Apparently late in the first round, somebody selected him and offered him or somebody was thinking about selecting him and they offered him 1.8 said, you know, like you were saying, what would you think if we offered you 1.8? And they said, get the, get the heck out of here. There's no way. Mm, Dial tone. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Click. Uh, So they are pooling together. The Padres are pooling together a bunch of money. They've got roughly two and a half million dollars to play with right now, according to my math. Wow. And so I wonder if they're going to come at him and say, okay, here's $2 million on the table. What do you think? Here's two and a quarter, something in that range and see what he wants. And if he goes for it, awesome. But that also means that they can't go after a bunch of other players. If he passes on it, then now they can sign all these other guys, which and there's a plus and minus to both sides. Right, of right, it. right, right. If they don't sign him, at least they had a chance to have some conversations with him, get to know the guy a little bit. Yeah. Um, and maybe in a couple of years, if he comes back into the draft as a college junior, they have an opportunity 
to maybe he'll come up when their selection comes and yeah. they would already have some groundwork laid with the guy. But think about that. You're going to go play in front of 100,000 people with the opportunity to go to the NFL. You're going to get a college education, at least a part of one. You're going to have boosters. You're going to have right. you're going to fans. Be you're going to have you know huge. classmates. Right. You know what I'm saying? And, or you go into professional baseball. We're going to get paid 1100 bucks a month, and you're going to go <laughs> sleep in a bus as you're going from Tri-Cities to Hillsborough to go right. play in, right. in rookie ball. It's a, it's a, it's a, I can understand both sides of the decision. I, I definitely can, but I can also understand like, do you want to play, a, you know, a cornerback where you're crushing your head for a long time? And yeah. you, there's some serious discussions on what uh, the overall effects of playing, you know, football at a high level is going to do to your long-term surviving. Well, and uh, yeah, your brain and all your other and injuries. Joints. Like you get yeah. injured on a football team, you're done. Yeah. You, you blow know? your knee out, you're done. That's it. Yeah. Um, with, with baseball, there's a little. It's a little bit longer road, but um, there's a lot more security with that two point five million dollars. Okay, so if I don't, three years in, you know, they're talking about this in the draft pick for the A's a couple of years ago. If a couple of years in, you don't like the, you don't like riding the minor league team bus. I'm going to go in the NFL draft. He ended up going with the NFL draft in the very beginning. But there's a there's an argument for both, and that two point five or two point eight million dollars is definitely going to be. Enough. It's generation, not generational money, but it's definitely life changing money. And well, and uh, done right, you can live very long. With so it. apparently, what they did was the 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 family, the Hampton Maurice Hampton's family, they did some math and they took a look at if we took that two point seven five million dollars signing bonus and we invested it into some kind of an annuity with a certain rate of return, it was going to yield this amount, and that would be equivalent to what a college degree at this level would would pay and so they were basically trying to figure out what he would need to get to be able to make a hundred thousand dollars for the next x many years and so it was it's that's an interesting angle to me that they were taking that approach and that's where they came up with that bonus number very businesslike yeah and that's kind of what it's happening now it's like going through my, playing ball as a kid it's all business now travel ball is a business you can't make the high school team unless you're playing travel ball team uh, travel ball or summer ball and fall ball in the off season which is crazy that's not what which it was is, like when i was a kid no cuz once baseball season was done then kids went off and played soccer they're playing basketball they're, they're playing a different sport exactly now those kids are playing year round Mm-hmm. And you get a lot of that fatigue. You get a lot of the, you know, the baseball dads or the, you know, the little league dads in all those sports where it's just insane. You're like, dude, your son's eight years old. It's but then okay. at the same time, you've got scouts paying attention to what's going on with 14 year olds. Right. And we see, we talked about this last episode was the international draft with kids are signing as young as 11. And with, and in the internationals, they're quitting school. At least here in America, the kids are still going to school. Yeah. You know, they're going to get some kind of education. Well, that's why the draft starts at 18. Yeah. You've got to at least be a high school senior to get drafted. Yeah. So for a different episode, there was a really interesting <laughs> yeah. discussion on Baseball America about a potential international draft. Yeah. Um, kind of laying out what the ground rules would be. So we can talk about that another time because we've just got too much to cover today. We do have too much to cover. So your last note here, the signing deadline is July 12th. July 12th. So teams have, what is that, about a month to, uh, to figure out what they're doing. So, yeah. you've got, so you've got this kid in Vanderbilt. You've got to wait a, at least a week 
to find out what's going on with the school and then negotiate with him. And then they need to negotiate with him and Hudson head to figure out what their pool looks like after their top 10 rounds are signed before before they can talk to the other 30 rounds worth of picks. And there's a lot of really interesting players down there. There's at least a handful of guys that are noteworthy prospects that as soon as they get signed, they're going to, you're going to start seeing their names show up in the you know the daily Mad Friars reports because they're good guy, good players. Right. right. Not and, everyone in the first round is going to be like. There's tons of major league players that not everyone in the major league play in major league baseball is a top one. You know, is a one one. Yeah. There's tons of seventh, ninth, tenth, eleventh, even deeper round drafts that guys come up. Guys in our system that are in AAA that are like. Well, I can't believe he's got this far. The 28th rounder. I think I Ty Kyle, France was like a 36th round pick. Yeah, Kyle Lloyd, I think, just pitched the other day. Kyle Lloyd, Kyle McGrath, both of them. Just pitched really well. Um, so Joey Cantillo and Jack Sawinski are two guys that come to mind that were picked like in the mid-30s. Yeah. And they they pulled more than $125,000. So the team needed to use some of the draft pool to get them. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting to see this whole chess match go. And it's going to take about a month to see it all shake out. Yeah. But I'll be keeping an eye on it. And you will, and I try to, but not as not as nerdy as you did. Well, that's what I'm you here for. You did a great job, and that's what you do. You know how to use Excel. I do Excel, but I just... No, I don't know how to do Excel. I have a couple <laughs> things that work I use Excel for, and that's about it. But let's move, on to, uh, let's move on to the affiliate roundup. And we start off in El Paso. So for the single, uh, last Wednesday, Logan Allen gave up four runs, three of them earned in his first inning... And then through five innings of shutout ball. After posting a 8.15 era in April, he has bounced back with a 3.14 in May. So the mathematician in me appreciates his May ERA of 3.14 because that's pie. pie. Uh, pie. He's He's been roughed up quite a bit. It seems like in each appearance he's had a, a bad inning and then he'll recover from it. And this last start that we don't have on here, he also gave up three runs. Uh, in in think, one inning. Yeah. And so... One of the things with Logan Allen is like, and we talked about this before we came on the air, was like, what do we do with him? How is he going to go? Are we waiting for him? Are there's the roster spots or are at a premium? Do we need to bring him up? Can we just stash him there until we absolutely need him? I right now you got Matt Strom on the DL, and then we had a, a bullpen day on Sunday. Yeah, so there's clearly an opening if, if there's somebody ready to take the spot, but they don't feel that he's ready quite yet yeah. to come up. He's got to show it. Uh, moving on to double, Andres Munoz blew a save in the ninth as he allowed two earned runs on two hits and a walk. The Mexican right-handed pitcher only managed to retire one batter in his outing. Jorge Bonifacio, a you know guy who's had plenty of major league time, took the pitcher deep for the walk-off. That was from the EVT. So that's one factor that you find in, in the PCL is yeah. that you've got major league veterans that are either rehabbing or they've been optioned. I think he was optioned because he strikes out a ton, yeah. but he's got crazy power. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's, it's Andres Munoz is doing really well for what he's facing. He is young for his level. He's inexperienced, but he's still going out there and getting the job done. Absolutely. And so we're going to go to triple and this hit the internet by storm. Francisco Mejia hit his fourth home run of the year. A absolute missile, five hundred and seven foot blast. Like you see the kid running after the ball, and he disappears in the back. Like a white shirt kid goes gets small really quick. Still running for the ball. <laughs> He's probably still running out somewhere. Still running for the ball, and you know. And once again, and this is what we preach on this podcast: is like people see that, it's like he's ready. 
they're not seeing it's not about the numbers. It's about the process. Yeah. Jose Perella has a 1.3 something OPS. Yeah. Hitting three something. Yeah. It's, it's what it's the, the approach, you know, from here, it's the approach. It's the swinging at bad pitches. It's, it's refining what he's swinging at uh, for Luis Urias. It's, it's Stefan. We're going to talk about this with John Conniff here in a minute. Um, it's not the numbers. It's the mechanics of his swing. It's the approach. It's the difference between, yeah, he can hit a 95 mile an hour fastball, but can he hit a, you know, a slider after he gets thrown a 95 mile an hour fastball and he's swinging out of something out of the zone. And that's, that's what they want to see, but we need to move on. We're, we're busy. And John is on the call. All right. Um, so going on to Amarillo, the single, Emmanuel Ramirez has been named Texas League Pitcher of the Week for the week of June 3rd through the 9th. The Texas League announced today, on the week, Ramirez went 1-0 with a no decision in two appearances. Ramirez struck out 10 opposing batters, surrendered two earned runs, and allowed 13 hits and 13 innings of work in that span. The Dominican Republic native is currently tied for second in the Texas League with five wins on the season after he earned his fifth victory of the season at Corpus Christi on Sunday. And it's also tied for ninth in strikeouts in the Texas League with 60. The Saudi starter has held opposing batters to a 218 batting average, which is the best among all other arms in the Texas League. Yeah, he's he's kind of flown under, under the radar. He's not one of these prospects that gets a lot of noise. No, no. And it's really good to see. Once again, it's not a top prospect. And... He's doing well. So if he keeps doing well, he might get an opportunity. Yeah. And go on. So the double here, Edward Olivares has 22 extra base hits, and he's stolen 14 bases in 17 attempts. He's on pace to better his numbers from last year in Lake Elsinore. The strikeout rate has jumped to 22%, but the uptick in power can offset some of that. The 23-year-old offers a power-speed comp- combination that not many in the system can match. He's on the 40-man roster. There is a glut of outfielders, but in the event of a trade and an injury and that kind of thing... We might see him by the end of the year. And then down here for the triple, um, Ronald Bolaños made his Amarillo debut. Congratulations for the promotion, Ronald. Yeah. <laughs> um, he made his debut last Sunday in six innings. He surrendered two hits, but hit four batters. Uh, but yeah. he matched his, single, his season high in strikeouts. I believe that was a, a runless six innings. Yeah. Yeah, so a solid debut in double-A for Ronald Bolaños. I loved how Bad Friars uh, kind of preempted that. So you think that it's... Mackenzie Gore going up to Amarillo. No, Ronald Bolanos. Yeah, well, I think they're giving Mackenzie Gore the chance to take in the All-Star Game festivities before yeah. they before they send him up. Um, and they did, Mad Friars pointed out the other day that he's been placed on the temporary inactive list. So it's not the injured list. It's just they want to give him a, a breather in the middle of the season. They do? Uh, so he's, it sounds like he's not going to participate in the All-Star Game. He's probably thrown his last pitch as a Lake Elsinore Storm member. Um but congratulations to him for making the all-star game. And he, and Van Groot. I'm going to call him oh, yes. Van Groot yeah, took his position. Fred, Frederick Van Gerp took his roster spot. Thank you. All right, so moving on to Lake Elsinore. Um, Osvaldo Hernandez had a setback in his attempt to get out to Lake Elsinore. He stretched out and had been cl- getting close to heading to Lake Elsinore when he had a setback with the injury. His return to the storm is not imminent now. So he was the the other, the forgotten lefty in yeah in Fort Wayne last yeah. year that was mowing everybody down yeah. while everybody was giving the attention to Nick Margavichis and Mackenzie Gore. Yeah. Uh, he had a better ERA than either of them. He had the best ERA in uh, mid, mid, uh, Midwest League last year. Yeah, so we've been waiting for him to make his debut. It's just ha- he hasn't come out from the uh, extended spring training yet. No, and they got injured, and 
You know, we were going to go Mackenzie Gore, Luis Patino, Osvaldo Hernandez. It's going to be an insane uh, rotation. It's still insane. It's still pretty insane. Uh, but he hasn't got out there. Now he's had the setback. There's no, you know, once again, these guys are just, there's no rush for him. We just want him to start getting to play. Yeah. And that's with the, you know, we're going to talk about Javier Aguirre here for a minute, but like Adrian Morhone, everyone's like, oh my God, what's going to happen? Is he going to be a bullpen guy because they're having to pitch two innings? Is Michelle Baez going to be a bullpen guy because they're having two innings pitched? No, they just really want him to get their season started and slowly move them along and then eventually stretch them out. Yep. And if it takes all season, if it takes all season, so be it. We're not talking about Tommy John. We're not talking about like elbow injuries. We're talking about shoulder stuff with um well back for Michelle and then shoulder stuff with um Morahone. And that's okay. Those are stuff that that you know maybe they can figure out somehow, some way, but just let them get some innings under their belt. Do you know what Osvaldo's affliction has been? I thought it was shoulder as well. I don't okay. think it was elbow. I'm pretty sure it was shoulder. Okay. I um, remember several years ago, like 10 years ago, when it was always rotator cuff. Yeah, yeah. When was the last time you saw someone tear a rotator cuff? You know, that's true. They they always just say shoulder inflammation instead. Yeah. But moving on to the double, Tuesday, Javier Aguirre made his first official appearance since converting to the mound late this spring, showing the athleticism and surprisingly advanced feel for the pitching for pitching that has the staff cautiously optimistic about his future. Aguirre ran his fastball up between 96 and 100 with good movement. This came from Mad Friars as well. A few times he took a few monopars off and it would cut more. Both flashed as plus. His off-speed, though, was a work in progress. After a bloop single to open the inning, Garrett got two straight bad swings on fastballs before he got a slider right down the middle, turned on it for a two-run homer. He bounced back nicely in the next at-bat, spinning up much better uh, 0-2 slider for a weak chopper back to the mound. Friday, Garrett got through his inning, giving up a walk and a K and nine pitches. So he's... Once again, just let him learn how to pitch. I mean, a slider is not an easy pitch to throw. No. And it, it dives, it dives, it dives, and then it hangs. And you hangy, he bangy, as Mudcat likes to say. Yeah. So he's he's learning that. the And this is in single A, so these guys aren't used to advanced pitching, and they still recognize that slider yeah. and step on it. Um, but glad that he's pitching. He's yeah. looking pretty good. Yeah. Um, he's off to a good start. So maybe with a few weeks, a month of performance, we might see him move up a level. Who knows how many levels he might move up. He's going to um, have to move up pretty quick. I'm thinking it, that he's going to come up to the majors once they think he's ready. He has to because he'd be on the 40-man roster by the end of the season. Oh, he's already on the 40-man roster. I'm sorry. Yeah, they have to yeah. make a decision because there's there's, he's, there's there's a roster crunch. Yeah, roster. And he's been on the – if he didn't start pitching, he might have been designated for assignment before the start of the season. Yeah. All right. So for your triple here, as I hinted to before, the California League named their all-stars – and the Lake Elsinore Storm had seven players named to the list. Uh, so Mackenzie Gore, right-handed pitcher Elliot Ashbeck, right-handed pitcher Ronald Bolaños, who has since moved on to double-A. Very nice. Uh, right-handed pitcher Evan Miller, another reliever. Catcher Luis Campusano, who leads the California League in batting average. Outfielder Robbie Podorski and infielder Estuary Ruiz. Yes. So congratulations, Friend guys. From the podcast, Estuary Ruiz and, yeah, that's right. and Mackenzie Gore. Uh, for the home run all-star, Luis Camposano leads the Cali League in with a 320 average for a backstop. For a catcher, yeah. That is freaking excellent. <clears throat> Camposano ranks in the top five in the Cali League in most offensive categories, including on base at 402 at second. A slugging percentage, 503 third. And a baseball to K ratio is best in the league. That's that's huge right there, the walk-in to strikeout yeah. ratio. Yeah. 
because a lot of the other stuff is going to degrade and you're going to see the strikeouts go up as he moves up through the levels. But the fact that he is drawing walks and showing the plate discipline now, that's something that's going to carry with him. Um, guys that strike out a ton in single A usually struggle a lot when they go up. We're seeing that right. with guys like Buddy Reed and Hudson Potts. Right. All right, so Fort Wayne was voted Single A's Best Ballpark. Thank you, Padres Twitter. Yeah, thank you to everybody who uh, who voted. So it was that baseball uh, ballpark digest. They yep. do this every year, um, and I know the AAA voting is going on right now. Yeah. Uh, but this is, I think, the third year in a row that Westview uh, Field. Park, Parkview. Parkview Park, Field. I'm sorry, Parkview Field has been named the best ballpark in all of Single A. It is a I've never been there. You're going there soon. I'm excited. It is an incredibly beautiful ballpark. And everyone that you talk to that comes up to Lake Elsinore talks about how beautiful that field is. It's so well done. It's so it's in right downtown. Um, it's just a really good ballpark. Well, and the players talk about how nice the facilities are, too. Yeah. And the batting cages and workout room and stuff like that that a lot of places don't have. But also the Midwest League. Uh, for the single, let's start with uh, Tin Caps infielder Xavier Edwards. Ryan Weathers and Henry Henry all got named to the Midwest League All Star team. Congratulations, guys! Absolutely. Um, and then since Eloy Jimenez from the uh, some, from the sorry the Chicago White Sox has graduated from the top one hundred prospect list, Xavier Edwards falls in at one hundred. Good for him in his first year of professional baseball. Yeah, yeah, he's got that a is- half season. He's a stud. He is. He's a stud. And we're going to talk. I don't know if we're really going to talk to him with John because when we talk about him enough, it should be called the Xavier Edwards Podcast, <laughs> uh, co-starring Tucapita Marcano. Yes. Um, but I saw somewhere that Tucapita Marcano's uh, strikeout-to-walk ratio, he has a better strikeout-to-walk ratio than Edwards now. Ah, see, I, and I love that. We love that competition. They bat one or two in the lineup. So their premium, uh, I think it's first, you know, top top of the lineup, I believe, um, that, that competition – that uh, camaraderie, I think, that comes along with that, and just the the chemistry they was playing minor league ball with each other, you know, two For guys sure. from two different sides of the world. So the the thing with the top one hundred lists, and this time of year, you've got players that are accumulating enough at bats or innings yeah. pitched. Yeah. So Chris Paddock um, and Francisco Mejia are off of the top one hundred list yep. now. Um, Fernando hey. Tatis Jr. is like five at bats away, not far behind, and then uh, Luis Rios whenever he comes up, he's not all that far from coming off those lists either. So the, the, the order's going to change. You're going to see guys kind of filter up through that list. Uh, the Padres were named the number one farm system in baseball this spring. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see where they fall after the season, after a few guys have graduated, but they're still going to be up there because it's just so much depth. You see guys falling off the front end of the top 100, but then yeah. you see them adding right on in the back end. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so for the double... Uh, Wednesday, Joey Cantillo, after six innings pitched, three hits, one earned run, seven Ks. Here's his stat line for his last six starts. 32 innings in a third pitched, 17 hits, three earned runs, 40 Ks. He's punching his ticket soon. He's punching his We'll see him in Lake Elsinore soon. And not to be outdone, but happy birthday for the triple for friend of the podcast, Friend of the podcast, Gabe Moser. Happy birthday to, to you. you. Happy birthday, Gabe Moser. Um, Saturday, the Tin Caps tweeted the lead. So here's his numbers. The Midwest League, he in XFIP, he is 2.89. His FIP, 2.6. And K to baseball rate, 8.29. And a base on ball is 3%. He leads the Midwest League in all those in XFIP. I'm not sure what that is. You'll explain it. <laughs> FIP, 
And then K in baseball, you know, K in baseball. So FIP is fielding independent pitching. Okay. Um, and I'm not sure exactly how they calculate it, but they normalize the ballparks and the 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 quality of the defense behind them. Um, so that's I I wasn't prepared to dive deep into that one. <laughs> Uh, but it, but it has to do with just where the balls have been hit, and I I think they look at strikeouts and home runs. They weigh strikeouts and home runs okay. more for that. And then xFIP is an expected fielding fielding independent pitching. I'm stumbling over my words here, uh, but it has to do with batted ball profiles instead of what the actual hits have been. It's like launch angles and velocities. Now right. that they've got all the TrackMan data. And you <sighs> turn twenty three, and that is the affiliate rundown. That's a lot of that's a lot of baseball. Right that's a there. lot of wind from you and me. We've done a lot of talking here, <laughs> yeah. and we really appreciate you guys uh, hanging in there. Um, let's get out of here. You can reach me on Twitter at SD Donovan, and I am at Zippy underscore TMS. Go Padres! Go Padres! Go Padres.